Hi, and welcome to Paperback Readers. Well, it's a new year, and uh, we've got plenty to talk about, but uh, we're going to start by going back to the past. Yeah, we really should have done this last weekend, but <laughs> last weekend was Christmas Eve and Christmas. And Been so, a little crazy. Yeah, we took a week off, and we're back with you on the second day of the new year to tell you about our favorite reads of 2022. You have already heard about all of them, because we have at least mentioned all of them on one of the podcast episodes this year. But um, maybe this is your first time listening. Maybe you have some Christmas money you want to spend and you're just not really sure where you want to start. We are going to give you um, a solid list of reading from the last year really fast right now that gives you a good place to begin. Yep. Sounds like a plan. Okay, do you want me to go first? Because I have more books than you do. Yeah, you, you read 143 books. I did, yeah. So you have a top 15. I read 108 and I have a top 10. I could have picked 15, but I'm a contrarian, and uh, 10 was a number. So <laughs> so we both had really solid years of reading. Um, lots and lots of things that we enjoyed. I did not put my books in any particular order. Did you? No, I didn't either. That, that would be more difficulty than I could stomach. Okay, so we're not ranking them. Mine, I think, are close, more closer to like when I read them. You want to throw some honorable mentions in uh, at the beginning, or would you rather circle back to that? Because uh, you've got your list. I know there were a few that I didn't pick that I really could have picked and were right there. Let's throw them in at the end. Okay. Okay. So my first one was God of the Garden, Thoughts on Creation, Culture, and the Kingdom by Andrew Peterson. This may have been the first book that I read in 2022 because you got it for me for Christmas and I could not wait to read it. Um, I don't listen to Andrew Peterson's music still. I've read two of his books now and I think that they're fantastic. I, I don't listen to his music. We I'm had sure. that CD of the kids songs that he wrote that we yeah, listened that to. Fun. I can recite most of those. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure his music is wonderful. I know my sister loves it. Um, but I'm just really, really into these books. This one is kind of like a love letter to Jesus written through creation and specifically trees. He spends a lot of time talking about um, trees that he loves and, and the impact of trees and the beauty of trees and the love of God shown to us through nature. I have no green thumb. I am no gardener. Anyone who looked at our landscaping would know this. Um, but I loved this book. So you don't have to be a gardener to be able to um, really appreciate this book. So you want me to do one of mine yeah, now? Yeah, let's just go back and forth. that's uneven. Okay, uh, I chose Music is History by Questlove. Oh, that was a good one. We did that one as a, a shared read. Yeah, and you know, I read a lot of music books, but this was one, I was just impressed with the breadth of it. It was a really um, audacious goal that he had to talk about every year, historically and musically at the same time. Uh, and it's funny because not on my list, is Bob Dylan's new book about music <laughs> because I think Quest Loves is better. And, and you know, that that's uh, big talking for me. But uh, I think it's a book that uh, that I enjoyed this year and that I think will be meaningful in, in 20 or 30 or 50 or maybe 100 years. Who knows? It has a great uh, cover. Yeah, it really does. Nice purple Even the paperback. Book. The paperback kept that cover. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a great one. But... Uh, yeah, you know, just highly recommend it. If you like music, if you like history, it's a good one. All right. My second one is Learning in Public, Lessons for a Racially Divided America from My Daughter's School. And it's by Courtney E. Martin. So this one is part memoir, part um, journalistic uh, research, really. Um, Courtney E. Martin, was, she lives in Oakland, California, and she was surprised as she was walking around 
with her daughter in their neighborhood at the difference in the schools and at the racial segregation among the schools. The one in her neighborhood where she would be, her daughter would be zoned to attend was predominantly African-American. It had um, abysmal test scores. And her question really was just why? This is my neighborhood schools. Why, school, why are, am I and all my neighbors not sending our kids to the school? Mm-hmm. And in her search for answers to this question, and she, she did send her kid to the school, um, and she just brought up a lot of really interesting things about um, integration in American schools all across the country and about the sneaky ways that racism sneaks into our school system. And, and really sometimes sneaky, sometimes overt um, ways that it's there um, and the way that it affects everybody, not just the African-American kids. Mm-hmm. And I just found it to be a fascinating read, especially as somebody whose kids go to school and who is an educator herself. This book stuck with me all year long. Mm-hmm. And as I work and as I send my kids to school, I just, I keep thinking about it and the issues that she raises. Interesting. Well, I, uh, my second pick was I apparently can't spell. I'm looking at a typed version of my list, and I called it the (laughs) 19s, which is not it. It's the 90s. Again, another shared read we had. Yeah, a book by Chuck Klosterman. Klosterman, I believe actually is how he says it. Um, Another book that just, I've read several of his books. I always enjoy his stuff, but this one felt quintessential. Uh, You know, this is great as a standalone book as a history of the 90s, but also the end, really. You talked about how that book you were, were talking about stuck with you. Uh-huh. The last chapter in this book has really stuck with me, this idea of when the 90s ended and what that meant, and that it meant a lot more than I think people thought. We, we grew up in a time when people were flippant about the age that we grew up in. I mean, Y2K is the one thing people talked about because it was going to be this massive disaster, except that it wasn't at all. Well, I think that it's also hard while you're living through something to appreciate the import and the impact of most things. Yeah. It just feels like life. It doesn't feel important for the most part. And without a new normal, the old normal is just normal. Exactly. And in the last chapter, if I taught a book on... Or if I taught a book, if I taught a class on political science right now or on cultural history, we'd be reading that last chapter yeah, because it a, it's definitive. It's a great book. My next one is Marrying the Ketchups by Jennifer Close. Did you have this one on your list? I did not. This would be one that would make my, my like, um, uh, what I said it earlier, I thought. Your uh, honorable mention. Honorable mention, yeah. It, it entirely could have been there. And there were a handful of them, and that was one that was bouncing around, but it's it's like 12 I on mean, my like, list. I can see why some people wouldn't like it. It is literary fiction. The description of it makes it sound very plot-driven, but it's not. It's literary fiction, so it's slow. But it it's set in Chicago. It's in a family of Cubs fans who run a restaurant near Wrigley. So it's about food. It's about baseball. It's about family. It's about figuring out where we want to go in our lives. Um, it just it uses... Gosh, all of these things as metaphor really well for pushing the action of the story. The characters are almost all fab- fantastic. And um, it's about the Cubs winning the World Series, for heaven's <laughs> sake. I mean, I just cannot get enough. I really, I've read another book by Jennifer Close, too. And this, I think, is her best one. I was certainly impressed. Like I guess I would have been a deserving uh, pick, but just edged out by books such as Spying on the South by Tony Horwitz. 
Uh, Horwitz's masterwork is Confederates in the Attic, and this is kind of along the same lines. I'm blanking on the name of the gentleman he traced in his journeys through the South. He was the man who ultimately, his career achievement was he set up Central Park. Huh. Uh, but he, he traveled through the South and wrote as a journalist uh, right on the eve of the Civil War. And Horwitz did the same thing. And, and a great chronicle of a divided country. You talk about 2016 with the Cubs winning the World Series mm-hmm. and other things that happened then. Uh, and, and how maybe that's another one of those moments like the end of the 90s where things just took this seismic shift. Uh, and Horwitz writes about the places he went and the people he encountered and keeps it light and interesting, but always thoughtful. Yeah, I remember you talking about that book a lot. My next one is Book Lovers by Emily Henry. If you have been listening to this podcast at all this year, you have probably heard me talk about Emily Henry because I read this book itself several times. I think I reread um, Beach Reads. I may have reread People We Take on Vacations. I just really like her because she doesn't write fluffy romance books. Sure, it's romance. They're just not fluffy. Um, this one is also set in the book world, which is just fantastic to me. I really loved it. Um, Nora and Charlie are an enemies to lovers kind of story. Um, it is definitely open door romance, but it really talks about the kinds of things like what do we owe to our families um, and how do we figure out how to be true to ourselves in a world that always wants us to be something different. It's a really, really good book. It sounds like it. You, uh, you definitely hit a I've read it enough stuff. times, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, my next one was a book that I just kind of randomly picked up. It wasn't new, but it's fairly new. It's called Basketball, A Love Story. And my understanding, I've not sought this out, was that they did a TV series. ESPN did on the game of basketball, and this book was kind of a byproduct of it. It's set up as an oral history, and I believe they just interviewed these people, and they got enough good stuff that somebody said, holy cow, we should put this down in a book. And they did, and I bought it. I've not seen the, uh, the video but the book stood well on its own. I love oral history. And it was an interesting look at basketball from a lot of different angles. Uh, there was a lot in there about the women's game. There was a lot in there about international basketball. Just a lot of little nuances that get kind of glossed over. Uh, I was glad to see get time and, and get uh, spoken about really well. It was probably the best overall overview of the game of basketball that I've ever read. And Good deal. You know, that, that's doing something in a book that's only probably about three or 400 pages. Excellent. My next one may be my all-time favorite of the whole year. And I've read a lot of good stuff this year, so I may have another couple that are vying for that. But this one is, I guess I haven't learned that yet, Discovering New Ways of Living When the Old Ways Stop by Shauna Nequist. She's one of my favorite writers. I'm still in the midst of like going through her whole catalog right now, slowly. Um, This book was just about growing up, about being middle-aged, about figuring out how to navigate the middle-age section of your life, which doesn't exactly come with a a manual. So I really appreciate the wisdom that she brings to everything she writes. I like the setup of her books. They tend to be um, short, manageable essays, all centered around um, a theme. I just, I love the way she writes. It's beautiful writing. Yeah, it occurs to me listening to this that I didn't really do any kind of essay self-helpy things. And there's one that's coming up on your list that I thought about if I had picked one for that spot. Oh, I uh, know what it is. Yeah, yeah, you would know what it was. but We'll get there. Yeah, I had not uh, done that. 
Um, I've continued my presidential quest. It looks about like I was doing James K. Polk at the beginning of the year, and I'm working on William McKinley now. So. You're just speeding right through. But the one from the list that makes my top reads was Grant by Ron Chernow. Ooh. Chernow's uh, Alexander Hamilton book, of course, is great. It was what inspired Lin-Manuel Miranda to start uh, writing verses, and I'm not exactly looking for a uh, Broadway treatment of U.S. Grant's life, <laughs> but Chernow's biography is compelling and complete. And I think the best thing you can say for a biography, for a biographer, is that they give you such a full portrait that you walk away from the book feeling like you knew this person and I felt that way about Grant and he wasn't the easiest person to get a handle on uh, a complicated and often contradictory figure who uh, messed up his fair share of things and had his fair share of glory and uh, Ron Chernow's there for all of it and uh, if you do one presidential biography it might be one to read high praise all right, my next one is Booth by Karen Joy Fowler. Did you have that on your list? I did, yes. That, All right, that is a double. All right, so Booth is a fictionalized account of the John Wilkes Booth family leading up to the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Um, I think that my favorite part of this was the way, well, there's so many favorite parts of this. She used her um, primary sources really, really well to create her characters. And the ones who didn't really have very much primary source material, she did a good job making them fit the rest of the narrative. Really a story more about how a fanatic gets made, very sympathetic to the to the rest of his family in some instances. Um Really just sympathetic to humanity, you know? Although she did somehow a masterful job of not making Booth himself sympathetic. Yeah, which is hard, but, yeah. but there's so much here to chew on. The characters are so fleshed out and, and each struggling with their own dilemma. I think as a society, we underrate how definitive the Civil War was in the lives of everybody who yeah. was alive in it. There was no, I'm just going to go to bed and stay off Twitter and not yeah. really mind this. You were in the middle of it, no matter how political was, or apolitical or conservative or liberal or, or theological or practical you were. You it was were in the middle. The world turned it. upside down for everyone. Yeah, and everybody had to figure that out at the same time in a completely different way. With no guidance from anybody yeah. because there was no, you know, self care or whatever. So. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> and, and to dive back into this, she obviously had to do a lot of homework. Uh, and, and she had to capture these characters with a, a reality that's just breathtaking at times. Uh, again, not unlike the Grant biography, I came away feeling like I had met the Booth family and that I felt a little bit of their anguish and sadness and confusion and at the end of all it, at I, once. I was reminded powerfully, really, of um, you, uh, like shootings today, mass shootings, and then what people say about the shooter afterwards, you know, um, and and the way that the fallout from it. It just, because it's about the making of a fanatic, and even though it's a work of fiction, I feel like that there's a lot we can learn from it. And the making of a narrative, and yeah. the way that as an actor he was particularly, Ooh. you know, drawn to that yeah if ever there was a story for our modern times there you go for real but anyway you, you go ahead with another one i had that one too so no that, no, no i have more than you too. go so this is gonna work even worse <laughs> oh uh, yeah you're right okay yeah. never mind all right i'm going 
In case you all can't tell from my voice, I have a cold, so this is probably not my best time to be trying to have conversation. All right, my next one is Bomb Shelter, Love, Time, and Other Explosives by Mary Laura Philpott. And that was the book that I referenced book. earlier, yes. It's also a collection of essays. It's about um, aging. It's about love. It's about death. It's about um, overcoming fear. But this one's put together really around the central theme of parenting, and I think that's why both of us found it so powerful. But she's such a good writer. She oh, can be great. poignant and then funny and, you know, always identifiable. Yeah. Uh, so... Yeah, it, it was just a, a very quick, pleasant read, uh, neither too heavy nor too light. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, a good uh, pandemic book, too. It really was. Okay, you go. Okay, I have got The Last Boy, Mickey Mantle, and the End of America's Childhood. And how's that for a subtitle by Jane Levy? It's a great subtitle. Uh, I've read all of Jane Levy's baseball biographies now, and the Babe Ruth one was the most recent one. And it probably gets the most publicity, but it's the one I'd do last. The Sandy Koufax one is really good, and the Mantle one, um, it's brilliant. It's heartbreaking. It is, in many ways, I think the most direct thing she's ever written. She kind of uh, can't avoid involving herself a few times and telling her story of the time she met Mantle. And you get an idea of just what a convoluted, strange, messed up, uh, larger-than-life deeply flawed, riveting character this dude was and and how he lived his life in the shadow of this adoration that almost swallowed him up whole and how he figured out his own ways to deal with it and to keep sane and do what he did. Um, you know, I don't mean to make too much of a guy for being a baseball player, but Mickey Mantle had a more screwed up life than I ever knew. Yeah. So, anyway. Sounds like a good one. Koufax, if you want something a little lighter, because I, don't th I think Koufax just told the world how it was going to be, and Mantle often let the world tell him how it was going to be. There you go. All right, my next one is called Nora Goes Off Script by Anna Annabelle Monaghan. And this is another uh, one in the running for my all-time favorite this year. I told you all when I talked about it the first time on the podcast that I read it three times, like in a week because it was just so good. It's also a romance. It's really a closed-door romance. It's about a uh, romance writer for a romance channel, so very much like Hallmark movie kinds of things are what she writes. In the wake of her divorce, she ends up writing a very different kind of movie about her own life, and it just gets a lot of critical attention. They film the movie at her house, and the lead actor who played her ex-husband ends up um, staying for a week with her. And at the end of it, he has to go back to his job. He promises her he'll be back, and he's not. And this whole week just changes her life forever. And it was one of the most beautiful stories. Um, I know, I'm sure, I'm sure somewhere there's somebody who didn't like this book, but I have talked to many, many people <laughs> about this book, and every one of them says what a good book it is and how much they loved it. It's one of their top books. I mean, this is just great all the way through. High praise indeed. Um, I did Showtime by Jeff Perlman, uh, and Showtime is kind of the opposite of that other basketball thing I talked about. Showtime came out as a book years ago, and then HBO made it into a TV series. And I watched the TV series and was like, oh my gosh, I got to go back and read the book. And the TV series is great. It's very adult-centric, but uh, 
really everything that's on there is in the book too. Um, Kareem, Magic, Jerry Buss, uh, just kind of the explosion of basketball into popular culture, I think largely is what Showtime is about. And of course it ends, it all comes crashing down in 1991 when Magic Johnson announces that he has HIV. And again, an end of an era moment, a, a uh, kind of the end of, of an era of innocence in, in our culture that I think uh, doesn't come back. But uh, these guys weren't so innocent anyway, it turns out. And it's a, it's a great story, full of larger-than-life personalities. Uh, and if, if you are interested in the book or the show, I, I recommend both. But since we're not talking about shows, we'll stick with the book. There you go. All right, I'm going to try to get move a little faster through mine since I've already talked about them before and just see if I can... Get it going faster. You don't have, have a ton of voice anyway. I don't, but I have a ton of books. So yeah. The next one is, this is not a book about Benedict Cumberbatch, The Joy of Loving Something, Anything, Like Your Life Depends on It by Tabitha Carvin. Actually, I think that title tells you everything you need to know about this book. It is about fully embracing all the weird things that you like, no matter what anybody else thinks about it. And obviously for this author, that's Benedict Cumberbatch. It's a book that is on my reread list for this year because I loved it so much. Just the idea again that women, more so than men, but men are not immune from this, um, sometimes feel like they have to justify liking something, justify taking time for a hobby, especially if the hobby is something that seems frivolous, like liking an actor. We don't have to do that. We're grown up people. Um, and even if we weren't grown up, we're people. We're allowed to like what we like. So you're telling me I can read 108 books about Beatles bootlegs and uh, obscure 18th century U.S. historical figures. That's all okay. You 100% can read <laughs> well, I, all of it. I did, so Anything that's good. Anything that you want good to answer. read, um, I hope you love every minute of it. Just don't make me read it. <laughs> all right, you're up. Yeah, actually, the other books on my list are all on your list, so oh, well, I will pass. I will say, here's a, a counter-suggestion. The Dylanologists is a great book about Bob Dylan nutters, actually, that you've made me think of. It's from a couple years ago. I read it. My late friend, Peter Stone Brown, uh, is featured in there. Love Peter. Miss him. Uh, but a phenomenal book if you want another perspective on the <laughs> chaos of obsession. So there Or you go. if you want an example of loving something, no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The next one is Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin, um, which you did not read and you really should read because it's absolutely Maybe I'll read it tomorrow. All right. That's as much laugh as I have right now, too. That's sad. All right. Um, but it was a book about um, two best friends who make video games together. But it's really. Oh, yeah, I do remember you. Yeah, about it's this. about so much more than that, though. And it, but. Um, I think the main thing that I loved about it was how much it was about how creating something has the possibility to heal us and to bring out all the best parts of us. And I think that's for anybody, no matter what it is you create. If you're making good food or you're, um, you know, you make, you sew or you uh, make a good sport, like you play sports, whatever it is that you are making or you're creating with your life, it's, it's got all this potential to do good things for you and for other people. Absolutely. Even if it's a podcast in which you make bad jokes and settle your <laughs> partner with stories of James K. Polk books. I love making this podcast with you. It's a lot of fun. Oh, thank you. All right. The next one for me is The Confidence to Write, A Guide for Overcoming Fear and Developing Identity as a Writer by Liz Prather. And 
she is a Kentucky writer. She wrote this book about her own high school classrooms and about helping students learn to overcome the fear and the things that hold us back as writers. So it's an excellent book for any educator, but it's also an excellent book for anybody who just wants to be a writer because it's not just students who fall prey to fear and all those other things that hold you back as a writer. All of us do. So it's a worthwhile book for anybody. Absolutely. Then, Southernmost by Silas House. That was one of yours, yes? It was not <gasps> one of mine. That might be number 11. That's All another right. one that I definitely had mentally down as honorable mention. All right. We love some Silas House on here. You've heard us talk about him a lot. Um, but this is one of my top books of his. Um, what is the main character's name? Okay, it's lost to us. It's been a few months. The main character is a pastor in a small Tennessee town who uh, loses his job and loses his marriage when he decides that he wants to marry a gay couple who is new to their rural Tennessee community. And when his life is just upended like this, he has to figure out who he, what actually matters to him and what he actually thinks is important in his life. He makes some pretty big wrong choices along the way, but in the end of the book, you know that he has found who he really wants to be. Yeah, uh, the family uh, issue strikes deep in there. There's a brother that he's been estranged from for a long time, and putting that back together is part of the situation. Um, just an important book, a very audacious, courageous, well-timed book. Um, and And I respect the fact that Silas House has always been a writer who just leads with his heart. Yeah, and this book really did. Then I have Start With Hello and Other Simple Ways to Live as Neighbors by Shannon Martin. So this is a book about learning how to be a good neighbor. Um, she writes about this kind of thing extensively, but this is the first one that really kind of reads like a manual. Like here are some solid practical ideas for ways that you can be a better neighbor in your world, not only for your own benefit, but for the benefit of your neighbors. It's beautifully written. It's compassionate. It's thoughtful. She's a wonderful writer. She's actually the one who recommended um, the earlier book, Learning in Public, that I talked about. Mm -hmm. I would never have read it had it not been for her. She's very, <clears throat> very conscious of social justice issues. Excuse me. All right, I have two more. Will and they're both on mine. So. All right, there you go. So the next one is, Will the Circle Be Unbroken? A Memoir of Learning to Believe You're Going to, you're going to Be Okay by Sean Dietrich. You talk about it a little bit. You know, I read three of Sean's books this year, and, and they were all excellent, but Will the Circle Be Unbroken was first for me, and it is just such a great story, a coming-of-age story, a growing-up story, a Southern story. Um, you know, there's, there's so much here. It, it's largely about his quest to come to terms with his father's suicide. Uh, he's a young boy. I don't remember exactly how old he was, he old was enough little, to understand, yeah. but not old enough to process very well. Right. And his father's suicide is an event that changes his entire life. He drops out of high school. He gets a job. Middle school. Hey, he, he doesn't drop out of middle school. He drops out of high school with memory serves, but... Anyway, he doesn't complete school. He gets a job. He goes down a completely different path. And he takes us through his journey of becoming, of, of going to community college, of learning that he is a writer, that he has a voice, that he has a story to tell. Um, but in the middle of this, there are a handful of just 
marvelously inexplicable supernatural occurrences the kind that have to be real because they're too bizarre and fantastic to be made up uh, and I don't want to give too much away but you know I it's think it's a page turner whichever one of his books we had picked up first we would have loved Sean Dietrich yeah um the other one that I read was uh the sunshine you're the sunshine of my life book mm-hmm. and I read one of his novels stars mm-hmm. of Alabama and so Pretty I good. think that any of the ones that we had read we would have really loved but I don't know that we would have loved him as thoroughly if this had not been our first one. Yeah. And I think probably also it's partly due to where we got the book and like reading it out loud to you on the way home from Mississippi. And I'm a believer in the power of the spoken word. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm a believer in like in all those things. Speaking words. <laughs> <laughs> that too. And all those things kind of working together too. Oh, sure. All right. The last book for us then for 2022, Best Books of the Year. Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver. I'm just sorry your voice is gone. Uh, It's going to sound like you're sitting here crying, but in (laughs) fact, you just can't talk. Uh, Yeah, marvelous book. If I had to pick one, it's probably this one. Don't make me pick one. I said I wasn't ranking them. I'm not ranking them. We talked about this one so recently. We're not going to go back into the synopsis because, honestly, the synopsis of this book takes a really long time. Um, There's a lot to this story. Suffice it to say, um, it's a modern retelling of Davy Copperfield set in Appalachia in what the 90s early 2000s yeah and just phenomenal depth the the same ability to take something old and turn it into something new which is I think what everybody does in writing and really kind of what everybody does in reading it's a long book but it's worth it yeah yeah I I can't uh, say enough if you care about Appalachia if you care about the opioid crisis if you care about uh, Dickens and great British literature. Uh, if you care about people. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, seriously, you're really running out of voice. I know. Hurry. Well, let's, let's wrap it up then. Did you want to talk about any more of your honorable mentions? I think we hit a lot of them. The Dylan book was the only okay. other one. And, and, you know, it was great, but it's weird and random. And if you like him, you'll love it. And if you don't like him, you're going to be like, who is this weirdo? <laughs> Which is pretty typical. Listen, you guys, thank you so much for sticking with us in another year. We have thoroughly enjoyed talking books with you. We have enjoyed every email, every Instagram message, um, every comment, everything that you guys have um, given back to us this year. You make it really rewarding to share with you what we're reading, and we love hearing what you're reading. Absolutely. Please remember, it, it really is intended to be a community, and just because we're the ones, or really I'm the one who blathers on endlessly, no. doesn't mean I don't want to listen, because I totally do. And you're a really good listener. Well, thank you. Tell them how they can tell me more. <laughs> you can find us um, by email at paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com, on Instagram at paperbackreaderspod, or on Twitter at Peaback Readers Pod. Feel free to drop us a line at any of those places. We would love to hear from you. We look forward to talking books with you in the new year. Potentially some changes coming to the show that we're still kind of are in the works. We'll let you know as we get those together. Yeah, but, but whatever changes, hopefully one thing that's constant this year, last year, or any year, is keep reading. Take care, y'all. <laughs>